Welcome to Broadway Radio's Tell Me More. I'm your host, Matt Tamanini. Here on Tell Me More, we strive to talk about projects and topics that don't often get covered on theater podcasts. Today, we are celebrating the 50th episode of Tell Me More. Over the course of the past three years, I have been fortunate enough to speak with an eclectic and diverse group of some of the most talented and interesting people in the theater community, while we discussed a wide range of sometimes important and sometimes silly topics. To celebrate this special occasion, I have a really big treat for you. Actually, the treat was for me, but I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with star of stage and screen, comedian, actor, musician, and the Tony-nominated writer of Matilda the Musical and Groundhog Day, Tim Minchin. As I told Tim in our conversation, I've been a fan of his for about a decade, dating back to his comedy special that was filmed at the famed O2 Arena in London. Two years later, he played a great yet unconventional Judas in the Jesus Christ Superstar Arena show that was eventually filmed and is currently available to stream on Broadway HD. And now, after Matilda and Groundhog Day, Tim has returned to performing with an incredible new television series that he stars in and co-wrote called Upright. The show premiered in November and December of 2019 in the UK and Australia, and starting on August 6th, the show will now be available in North America on the Sundance Now streaming service. Take a listen to the show's trailer. A normal person would have booked a flight and wouldn't have tried to drive a piano across the desert. Start the car! Ah! 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 Oh, this comes! In Upright, Tim's character, Lucky, has to get across Australia to see his dying mother, but he decides to bring his upright piano with him. Very quickly in, his plans, of course, go awry, and he is forced to make the trip with a teenage semi-runaway named Meg. It's part odd couple, part flea bag, part parks and rec, but it is all wonderfully funny and dramatic, and it's really a sweet show about what family by any definition means. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Tim Minchin. Here he is. Hello, sir. Hi, Matt. How are you? Good. Okay. Hi. Hi. So, how are you? How are you doing? Really good. Thank you, Matt. How are you? I'm doing great. I am so excited to talk to you. I've been a a fan for a long time, but I've just gotten into the screeners of Upright over the weekend. And I mean, I knew I was going to love it because I am such a fan, but this is such a a cool show and it feels like it's the perfect thing to come right now when we're all stuck inside a a complicated and interesting and deep road trip show seems like a really good escape right now. Yeah. (laughs) Come with us on a road journey because you can't. Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad. How far? Um, how far through have you got? I'm I'm through the first six episodes, so I think I just have two more. Oh, oh, good. All right. Well, you you know where it's heading, and you're yes. about to get the proper. I can't wait. Uh, slap in the heart. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad you've got that far through. I mean, obviously, when I talk to journos and stuff, I'm I'm thrilled if they've watched one or two. But with upright, uh, like like a lot of shows, but perhaps. Um, especially with Upright, it really does. It, it's it's like a, a a boulder gathering momentum as it rolls downhill. I mean, you 
it, it, it rewards uh, attention and patience. And obviously it has this funny, slightly dark tone, um, but you sort of accumulate investment in the characters, don't you? And, and uh, I, I've got every, so many people who I've talked to said, oh, I really liked it. And then from about episode four, I couldn't, couldn't stop yeah. sort of thing, which is, which is good. I, I, like, I like TV like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is a show that not only do you star in, but you created and co-write and everything. So because this is a show that is set in Australia, I think now that you're rolling it out to North America, I think that because we're Americans, I don't think people really realize what a road trip across Australia really entails. So just real quick, can you tell us just like how massive that undertaking is and why that kind of adds such a layer of complexity to the to the actual journey in the show itself? Well, yeah, so North Americans tend not to realize that uh, Australia is about the same size as as the United States. Uh, it's a little bit smaller, but um, what's remarkable about it is if you leave Sydney uh, and drive west, you hit eventually Adelaide, which is a town of about one and a half million people, and then you hit Perth, which is a town of about... 2 million people. And that's, apart from country towns and a couple of big rural centers, that's it for the entire trip. It's, it's, it's not like the States where, where there are big centers uh, smattered throughout the country. It's just a big old empty place, which of course makes it ripe for big epic journeys and mm-hmm. journeys sort of heart of darkness style journeys into the soul. And there's obviously a grand tradition all the way back to the Greeks and the Bible of, of people having to journey into the desert to, to stare themselves in the face sort of thing. And there's also a grand tradition of uh, people having to carry burdens um, across yeah. deserts. Uh, it's, a, it's a rich metaphor. And so we play with all that stuff. And our cinematographer, Katie Milwright, has, has done a masterful job of the the desertedness and the sort of despair and the long 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 straight roads and the and all the lovely sort of metaphorical stuff you get out of that um, and then on the other side upright is just a really rollicking adventure and of course space and desert and broken down cars and snake bites and truckers taking methamphetamines and <laughs> bikers and all the stuff that can happen in this slightly Mad Maxian world. Yeah. Uh, it, so it manages to be a really gentle uh, show about family and heart and redemption, whilst also being a bit Mad Max, a bit Breaking Bad, I suppose. Yeah, well, and it's it's just as much of a journey literally across the entire country and continent of Australia, but there's also a journey for Lucky and the thing that really struck me, and I'm not sure if if it's just me personally where I am in my life, but the journey that really interested me was the relationship between Lucky and Meg. And it just felt like the chemistry that you and Millie had was so authentic and nurturing. I I was kind of hooked by that from the very beginning from, you know, I don't want to spoil anything, but like the first time she starts yelling at you, I was like, oh, they're there's something interesting there, that dynamic between these two characters. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Because they're so in opposition. They're so different, different ages. He's a 40-something bloke. She's a teenage, young teenage girl. And they just had a car crash and she's furious. And they want, they, they sort of, 
by the second episode, you, you sort of they're, they're thrust together, like in so many good dramas, yeah. they're, they're an odd couple thrust together. But weirdly, you get the sense from very early on that they kind of there's an inevitability to them, and that they they almost immediately, despite their opposition to one another, feel like they need each other. And we really rely on that in the show because we've done a very anti-Disney thing in that you don't really know what Lucky is doing or why he's doing it. You know his mum's sick and he has to get to Perth. And you know pretty early on he hasn't been home for eight years. But you don't actually find out what's driving him until episode eight. You still, Matt, you still got info to, yeah. to gather. Yeah. Um, and that's dangerous in the Disney, the Disney playbook says you let the audience know immediately what the character needs and then they are hooked in and invested in watching them try and achieve that goal. But we rely utterly on the audience falling in love with this couple who ostensibly mm-hmm. really don't get along. <laughs> so that chemistry is all we've got. That's how we hook the viewer. We've got a, a, a weird scenario, a guy with a piano trying to cross the country We've got a runaway team. And apart from that, all we've got is the audience's desire to see how these two are going to sort their, their differences out and and find each other, you know. Yeah, it's, it's a really beautiful part of the show to see that develop. But like you said, there's there's a lot of darkness in there, too. There's a lot of, uh, of family drama and interpersonal drama. But there is, I mean, it wouldn't be a Tim Mention project, I think, without some humor uh, in there as well. How do you kind of go about that? Because this is something that, you know, to me, it, at least kind of knowing you back from, I think the first time I ever saw you, anything was your O2 special. And like, that's when I just became a huge fan. And, and to see this, which is such a different style of comedy, how do you kind of balance the the darkness with the humor when you're creating something that is very different from what I think at least some fans will have known you for? Yeah, well, um, firstly, I what I love about making telly and what I love about making musical theater is that unlike comedy, you know, stand up in my cabaret, what is basically cabaret, it that it's very much a solo venture and very much about me breaking down all the barriers between me and the audience and being as honest as I can and getting comedy out of my sort of absurd honesty. Um, whereas making TV is collaborative and I wasn't even this, this show upright wasn't even my idea. It was the idea of a guy called Chris Taylor, who's mm-hmm. a friend of mine, much admired comedian over here in Australia. And two very good friends of mine uh, wrote the show with me. And we all we all have in common a love of really pushing the edge of the sort of relationship between comedy and drama. And we, we are all interested in how uh, an audience will come with you if you write authentically, if you create authentic characters you can have one moment being really silly and the next moment being really sad and the audience will trust you and come with you as long as you do your job right. And and actually, Matt, I reckon this project is a, a truer representation of the sort of 
um, stuff I like and the sort of person I am than my than my stand up. I mean, my my comedy, I'm a sort of character and I'm uh, sort of a, a weird high status, low status guy. And obviously, um, <laughs> my piano playing and it, it all is it's it, it's kind of showing. It's, I'm just showing off, basically. Um, <laughs> look how funny I am. Look how smart I am. Uh, <laughs> um, which, of course, I'm not very funny and smart, but I work really hard on it to make it seem like I am. Um, whereas this, this especially in this phase of my life, and slightly at this time in history, I just really it was Matilda that that made me go. No, this is what I want to do. I want to write stories that that live and that people remember for a long time and that, um, you know, Matilda, the songs from Matilda are still sung every day in schools around the world. Oh, and yeah. that is such a, an honor, you know, that's such a, you know, for a self-taught muso from Perth, that's so far beyond my wildest expectations of, of where I might be able to make my art, the scale on which I would, I would be able to work. And, and upright, the collaborative nature of it and the fact that it's talking about big human themes and it does get to be really funny and then really sad and it does get to talk about our damage and it really uprights about your scars and how, how to live with, with, your, with the things that have hurt you or the mistakes you've made. And that makes it all sound very serious. Of course, it's, it's not. It's... it's, it's it's both, you know, and I, I want to always, I, I've been saying in recent years, if you, if you don't laugh and cry, I don't, I don't know what the point is, you know, <laughs> that, 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 that's my role as a storyteller is to, to make you feel like you felt every emotion that you have. Yeah. And being that I'm from a, a more theatrical publication, I still, I've seen Matilda, I don't know how many times both on Broadway and on tour and then even regional productions. And there's still, when I grow up still will never not make me cry. Like it, I, every uh -huh. single time. And, and yeah. whether it's the same yeah. staging with the swings or whatever, that's, that's how I feel about it. And so it, yeah. it that works. Uh, and it's so interesting to hear you say that, like that was the start uh -huh. of, of a different point uh, in your career, because like you said, I, as I was watching upright, obviously it's longer than you would ever see like a, a you know, a, a proper stage play, but it felt very, you know, it felt like a two-hander for the most point, for the most part. You know, you had a few people, uh, you know, yeah. two people at the center. It felt very dramatic. It felt rooted in not dramatic like comedy or drama, but like in like classic drama. Yeah, in theatrical. And I'm glad you thought that because we're also not scared of, I love words, obviously. I love dialogue. I, I'm, I'm not a natural filmmaker, perhaps, because I am obsessed with conversation so in the first 10 minutes of upright my character has a three minute long monologue about about um the fact that life is just chaos and statistics yeah. you know and so i you know i i think what matilda did is made me gave me permission made, made me go i'm allowed to make stuff that is do you know what it is actually matt is uh, comedy exploits irony a lot right and i am a little tired tired of irony or at least I'm tired of only irony and so when I started writing Matilda I delivered a couple of songs that were a little bit you know how Book of Mormon which is an absolutely masterful piece of work in many ways but, but and it has fantastic songs sure but it's sort of 
commenting on itself all the time. It's a, it's, it's not actually a musical. It's a parody of a musical. I mean, it, that's a terrible thing. Of course, it's a musical. But what I mean is that yeah, I know what you mean. It manages to do do something brilliant. It, it is brilliant in that it manages to be a fantastic musical whilst always sort of mocking the idea of itself. And that was my instinct always. Uh, everything I made was meta, was commenting on itself. Until I met Matthew Watchers and he went, stop commenting. You're, you're allowed to just, <laughs> you know, this is the moment to make the audience feel, not, not be aware of their feelings, but just to feel. And I, I, that really suits me, you know. So Upright, although it's full of irony and dripping with sarcasm and hell of a lot of swearing and darkness and comedy, it doesn't say, it never says to the audience, Oh, you can stay one step removed from this. You don't have to invest in this. This is a, we're, we're commenting on that. We're winking at the audience all the time. We're being ironic. It doesn't do that. It asks you to utterly believe the truth of these characters. And I find that at this stage in my career, much more exciting to actually commit and not apologize for trying to take the audience on a journey. Yeah, there's an earnestness and a lot of those are both Matilda and Groundhog's Day and, and now Upright where, yes, you have all of those things that are signature Tim mentioned things, but that earnestness really draws you into the characters. And I think when you're working with something like theater and musical theater and even, you know, television, like I said, that, you know, feels like theater in some ways that the earnestness in the characters and the connection really, really make a big deal. And, and I wonder from you as, you know, someone who is both on the performer and the writer side of, you know, the performing arts. Do you feel different as if you were writing Matilda or Groundhog's Day or whatever, and then now you're writing something that you know you're going to be a part of? Does is that a, take a different part of your head? Do you always kind of have to put yourself in there where maybe you don't with the musicals? Does that take a different part of your creativity to create? I certainly think it made me quite controlling, <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, I got a, I, I, my conception of the the style of the dialogue, because I knew it was going to come out of my mouth. I got quite controlling about the sort of rhythm of speech and stuff. So it, controlling sort of the mean way of putting it. I was very, I passionately <laughs> pursued a particular tone that I knew I would, I knew I could deliver. Um, interestingly, or not, depending on <laughs> interestingly, <laughs> uh, if you're interested. Um, I wrote Phil Connors for myself, really. Um, so the role Andy Carl played uh, and yeah. dear, beautiful Nick Cordero played, played in Workshop. Um, that, that role I actually kind of wrote for myself. I wrote for my range wow. and I wrote w with, with Danny. I, I wrote... Um, I wrote to my sensibilities, not because I thought I'd play it, but just because I thought, well, he's me. He's going to be me. He's going to be a guy <laughs> who's, not that I have experienced this, but he's a guy of my age who thinks he's smart and he's going to go into this small town, but he's actually, deep down, he's actually depressed and um, he gets himself in a trap and he has to figure out how to live a meaningful life in a meaningless universe, right? Which is the theme of all my work, a survey of upright. Um, how do you find meaning in all this crap? And, um, and I think to an extent, Matilda, uh, when I wrote quiet, I'm, I'm just going, well, what if this five-year-old girl 
thought a bit about relativity and about um, <laughs> uh, about physics for a bit in the way I think about physics because that would be interesting, wouldn't it? And, you know, I do think it's important if you're going to create authentic characters that you allow them to have all your own stuff because because that, that's how you know it's true because you felt it. Um, I, I, I think when I watch telly or film or, or theatre that I think is bad, I feel like the writer is writing the character's dialogue based on dialogue they've heard other characters say. Yeah, like they're writing based on their conception of what writing is rather than writing based on their conception of what being is. And I'm, I am a new writer. You know, Upright is really the first time I've ever written a television script, but I'm not a new human and I'm, I'm not, <laughs> it's, it's not my first rodeo when it comes to trying to express feelings in words. And so I, I guess I have the confidence to go, I don't care what, how anyone else writes. I, I'm going to write my version of this truth, you know, and I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm proud of Upright actually. And I can't say that about everything I've ever made, but I, I'm proud of, of Kate and Leon and Chris and Nikki and all the people who wrote on it. And I'm incredibly proud of the, the crew and the production team and the director. I, I, I think it's a nice, it's kind of my favorite thing I've ever made. <laughs> oh wow, that's I mean that's saying a lot. That's uh, uh, that's pretty fantastic that you can say for the most recent thing is your favorite. Uh, hopefully, the next thing you make becomes yeah, your favorite yeah, as I, well. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I hope so. I mean, it was healing for me as well. It came at a time when I I needed to make something truthful for myself. You know. Yeah, absolutely, and that's generally where. You know the the most honest things that artists can create generally end up being uh, the most impactful, both to themselves and to the audience. But um, I, I I'm interested in just because you mentioned uh, Matilda. Now, before the world kind of went off its axis, um, there was news that there the, that the film version was was in the works. Obviously, everything I'm assuming had to shut down. Is there anything, are there any updates as to a timetable or anything with the film version of Matilda? I'm as interested in that question as you are. (laughs) I mean, there's two reasons I'm not sure. One is because no one's sure of anything. And the other is because I very um, deliberately give Matthew space um, because I didn't make Matilda. I, I wasn't even... You know, I opened my orchestra tour in an arena the night before Matilda opened on in Stratford. Oh wow! Uh, that that is Matthew's show. That's Matthew's show, and it's Matthew's film. And um, I've been involved, and I've even written a bit of extra stuff for it, which you'll hear about soon. And I'll make sure I talk to you guys uh, first. <laughs> but um, uh, it, uh, I, I'm I'm not all the way across it because I I don't want to sure. put pressure on anyone. But I, it, it it's still happening, and it's going to happen as soon as it can and um uh, you know it, it just keeps changing doesn't it yeah uh, but uh, we i think there might be some filming done this year so and the good thing about matilda is it's not dating you know it's not it's not suddenly going to be um uh you know irrelevant because it's a universal story set in a you know esoteric time <laughs> frame 
esoteric is not the right word. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, that's good. I'm glad that there things are still moving forward, even if uh, Matthew's handling those things uh, while you're off doing other things, which is exciting. But um, I know I don't have a ton of time with you, so I'm, I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. The I, I kind of cutting back to that central relationship uh, in Upright, I guess, even going with Matilda, you have this, uh, you kind of developed a little bit of, of a part of your career writing for and working with kids. And I, I think dating back to like when I saw uh, the O2 special, I don't know if it was on HBO or Showtime or whatever, I, I would never have guessed that that comedian would then have such a, a huge part of his career working and writing for kids. But as you kind of have seen yeah. your your career progress and the arc of where it is, what's the most surprising thing for you as to where you are or where you ended up or the thing you've done? Uh, because it really has between the, the, the comedy, the writing, the acting, the musical theater, the TV, it, like you really have done so many eclectic and, and disparate things. Yeah. Um, the funny thing is it all, it all adds up to me because in my late teens and twenties, I played in bands. I wrote music for theater a lot, uh, for youth theater. Uh, my very first shows were, um, the first scores I wrote were for youth theater. And so I've always worked with younger people and kids and, cool. and actually, I wrote to the Dallas State in, in the year 2000 or somewhere around there to ask about the rights for Matilda for a kids' theatre company, completely oh, wow. coincidentally. Um, uh, and I always... I mean, the, the, the shock is that I'm a comedian. That, that, that came out of nowhere. I mean, really? I always felt comfortable on stage and I always knew people could laugh. But, uh, I mean, I... My friends were doing bits of stand-up in their 20s, and I was like, no way. You know, I'm the pianist. I'm, <laughs> I was doing a bit of improv, and I'd be the piano guy. I wasn't uh, – I, I, I just – the fact that people still refer to me as a comedian, I mean, I've never really believed it. Um, the rest is much, much more understandable to me, except that um, I just can't believe I am allowed to do it uh, on such a good level, like <laughs> yeah. I, I, I did not grow up thinking one day I'm going to be on Broadway, or I, I, I grew up thinking, God, if I'm lucky, I might be able to play piano in a piano bar, and people might put some bread in my jar. You know, I uh, it's because I'm because I'm not trained, and I didn't learn. You know, I'm self-taught, and and I'm not trained as an actor, and I'm not trained as a writer, I'm not trained as a comedian or a composer, and barely trained as a pianist. Um, I just can't believe any of it, really. Uh, one side of my brain thinks it's all ridiculous um, fluke. And then on the other side of my brain thinks, well, you have to have the part of your brain that really believes in yourself. Otherwise yeah. you can't do it. You know? Yeah. So part, part of me is completely humble and tiny and can't believe it. And part of me is like, get out of my way. I know how to do this. <laughs> but, you know, that's the personality you need, I guess, to keep moving forward. But, do you know what? Actually, Matt, I I've always loved acting, and the the fact that I've now played a, uh, admittedly, I had to write it for myself. But the fact that I've now played a, a a proper lead role or a co-starring role in a TV series that's going on Sundance now, you know, I uh, I I always thought 
um, special people got to be actors and really hot people and, you know, there was a certain <laughs> type and, I, and all my friends went off to drama school and I didn't even audition. It didn't even cross my mind that I'd be allowed to, you know? Uh, so I, I'm, I'm amazed that I get to act, actually. That's really good. Wow. That's awesome. Well, I, I, like I said, I love this show and I am, am such a fan of all of your work. So whether it's more TV stuff, uh, more theater stuff, whatever it is, I'm very much looking forward to whatever's next. And uh, congratulations on the success of this. I hope it is as well received here in the States as it has been in both uh, Australia and, and the UK, because it's uh, I know it's done very well wherever it's uh, premiered already. Well, have a great uh, rest of your day and stay safe and stay healthy. And uh, hopefully we'll get to chat again soon. Thanks so much. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tell Me More. My name is Matt Tamanini. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMatt, and you can reach out to Broadway Radio on both Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. We will have all of Tim Mention's social media information, as well as the details about Sundance Now and Upright in the show notes and on BroadwayRadio.com. Tell Me More is produced and edited by me. Special thanks, of course, to the iconic Tim Mention, Lauren Wynn, and the man without whom none of Broadway Radio is possible, James Marino. Thanks again for listening, and remember... Just because you find that life's not fair, it doesn't mean that you have to just grin and bear it. If you always take it on the chin and wear it, nothing will change. Also, always get a second scoop, and when you get the chance, ask people to tell you more.